Quick vote with a show of hands. True or false? People don't change. True or false? Now, I appreciate all of the optimists who say that people don't change. In fact, this is a tricky one, right? Because it's not people can't change or people won't change. It's that people don't change. And those of you who say absolutely false, people change. You've probably experienced a big change in your life or you've seen someone or known someone who's had a big change, who's changed. But for those of you who said true, people don't change. There are some numbers to back you up. I was a volunteer jail chaplain for a while and depending on the type of crime, up to 77% of felons re-enter jail. During my time there, people came and went and came again over and over. And it's not just the felons who have a hard time changing. There is a long list of people who I have been praying for for a really long time who do not seem to want to change. And as frustrating as it is for me that I can't seem to change them or help them make changes that I want for them so badly, it's even harder when I start to realize I have a hard time changing myself. And I can start to wonder if change is so hard and all of those times I've tried to change before haven't worked. Is it true or false that I can't change? I was in my early 30s when I had my first battle with depression. And it was a tough one. I didn't fight so well. I thought if I could pray more or read more or study more that I could kick this thing. But the more that I tried, the more that I failed. And I thought that being depressed made me a bad wife and a bad mom and a bad Christian. And I didn't like the person who I saw in the mirror. So I was really running out of people to disappoint at that point. And no matter what I did, I could not shake this cloud of sadness that clung around me. I tried. And I prayed. And I couldn't change. I'm going to tell you more about how my life went after that. But change eventually came. As much as I can tell you that it's hard for change to happen, that I can't change people and sometimes I feel like I can't change myself, what I can tell you is that God changes people. And as we look at our series in Rebels and Reformers today, we are going to hold this prickly question in our hands the entire time. 
we're going to ask ourselves again and again, true or false, does God really change people? And can God really change me? We're in the Rebels and Reformers um, series, and uh, today we're going to be looking at one of the all-time greatest reformers in Israel's history, King Josiah. In fact, if you have one of those bookmarks and you've been following along in the reading plan here at, um, at Central, you will have read this morning a prophecy about King Josiah. Um, which we didn't plan, but that's kind of exciting. Um, Now, all rebels and reformers have one thing in common. They believe change is possible, and they want it to happen. That's certainly the case with young Josiah. Josiah um, is not just a reformer who brought great change. He was a great king who was changed. Uh, He became king when he was eight years old. They must have had to make a new crown for his tiny little head around the same time that most boys just want Legos. But there is more that is intriguing about his inauguration than just his age. So we're going to turn back a few verses uh, in the passage in 2 Kings. You can see on the verse on the screen, or you can follow in your Bibles in 2 Kings 21, starting in verse 19. We're going to look at Josiah's father, Amon. Amon did evil in the eyes of the Lord, as his father Manasseh had done. He followed completely the ways of his father, worshiping the idols his father had worshipped and bowing down to them. He forsook the Lord, the God of his ancestors, and did not walk in obedience to him. Amon's officials conspired against him and assassinated the king in his palace. But then the people of the land killed all those who had plotted against King Amon, and they made Josiah his son king in his place. Josiah was eight years old when he became king. So Josiah isn't just coming into this kingship with the incredible burden of sovereignty at age eight. He is assuming the throne in the wake of his father's assassination. His father was just murdered in his own house weeks before this crown is placed on his head. Josiah comes to the throne in the middle of chaos. There was a massive coup that was successful to assassinate his father. But then the overthrowers got overthrown and they stuck this kid on the throne. He has not been handed down any tools or wisdom or positive examples that we can see. In fact, if we go back a little further into his family history, his father was only king for two years before he was assassinated. His father, Amon, died at age 24 after being king for only two years. For the first six years of Josiah's life, he grew up in the palace while his grandfather, Manasseh, was king. Manasseh had a 55-year reign of terror over Judah. He set up idols and altars to pagan gods, not only in the city, 
not only next to God's temple, but in God's temple. Decided to remodel the place. And these idols and altars to idols, they weren't just an insult to God or adding God's next to God. Some of these altars and these pagan gods demanded child sacrifice. And Manasseh sacrificed his own son, Josiah's uncle, to a pagan god. The legacy that Manasseh leaves behind, the legacy that is recorded in 2 Kings, is that he shed so much innocent blood that it filled Jerusalem from one end of the city to another. And you thought your family was bad. (laughs) I mean, some of us had great families growing up, but some of us came into adulthood without all of the tools that we necessarily could have used to succeed. Some of us found ourselves in marriage or in jobs, not necessarily having um, good examples about handling anger or handling conflict. And we didn't realize it, until we did. It reminds me of these two fish that are swimming next to each other. And, and one fish turns to the other and he says, do you ever get sick of water? And the other fish turns to him and says, what's water? Like we don't always even realize what we're swimming in. Most of us don't even under, it took us a while to understand how toxic our families were. And some of us swam as kids in the waters of divorce and affairs and mental illness and abuse and addiction, greed, selfishness, anger. And a lot of us have spent a good amount of our time building armor around ourselves so that we would never turn out like that person did. But even with all of that armor up, even with all of the safeguards we've put around us, we live in this low hum of fear that the same monsters that ate our parents, the same monsters that ate the the adults that we knew might come to eat us. Josiah tells us a very different story. Josiah shows us a God who is a total chain breaker. No matter what legacy we come from, positive or negative, God gave Josiah freedom from the path that his parents and grandparents had paved before him. In fact, God gave Josiah freedom even from his own path that he had paved for himself, his own mistakes that he had made without knowing that he had made them. It says in 2 Kings, um, when we're first introduced to Josiah, we are told that he is a man who is, uh, did what was right in the Lord's eyes and followed his ways completely. But we see later in verse 11 that actually Josiah is tearing his robes because he knows that he has made a million mistakes. See, Josiah became king at age eight, 
But uh, most of his reforms and everything that kicked off happened when he discovered the scrolls of the law. And that was 18 years later when he was 36 years old. He, um, he was not only free from his parents' mistakes, but he was free from his own mistakes. That whole time between 8 and 36, when he was swimming in a culture that was toxic and he had no idea, he was swimming in a culture that was so far from God, even though they called themselves the people of God even though they had a temple for God. They were so far from God. But he wasn't doomed by his mistakes or by his own mistakes or by the trajectory of the social um, society around him. God is a chain breaker who can change us against all odds, no matter what is stacked against you. But like Josiah, sometimes the patterns that we most need to get away from are not actually those that have been um, handed down to us. They're actually our own. And the good news for us is that God is also a habit breaker. He changes people's habits. We don't have to be slaves to the ruts that others have made for us, and we don't have to be slaves to the ruts that we've made for our own. So Josiah's story started with this political corruption and intrigue around the assassinations and the thrones. And then we get this plot twist. And, and now we almost get like this Indiana Jones drama going on. Because Manasseh, as he was remodeling the temple and putting all of these idols and altars in there, he must have moved some things around, put some walls up, taken them down. Everything is a mess now. And Josiah commands that the temple be repaired. And as they're doing all of this work, you guys know a little bit about doing construction work on churches, right? I was talking with Ken earlier about pulling up the the carpet this last weekend. Fortunately, I don't think there were any, you know, surprises that were too hairy under there. But as, as these guys are remodeling the temple they end up finding a huge surprise. The scrolls of the law, the first five books of the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, had been hidden, not read, not seen, not even known about for generations. And as they uncover them, they realize this has got to be something important. They give it to the high priest, and the high priest takes it to the king's secretary who knows how to read, and he reads it to Josiah. And God's words change everything. This is the moment when Josiah thought he was doing everything right and realized that he was doing everything wrong. And we all have a choice in that moment. If we are going to get defensive and dig our heels in, or if we are going to be humble and make the decision to do what's right, no matter what. Josiah makes the decision to do what's right. There is going to be a massive overhaul 
socially, politically, spiritually necessary in Judah if he is going to bring the country in line with the words that are on these scrolls. If he wants to take, go from saying we're God's people to actually living like we're God's people, the way that the words on the scroll says, there is going to be a massive, massive change. It is amazing what happens when we dust off the words of God, when we find them from their hidden place and we bring them out into the light and we decide that we're not just going to say that we're God's people, but that we're going to read the words that God gave us and that we are going to choose to live like God's people. And that is the choice that Josiah makes for himself. And then he leads Judah forward in that choice. Now, if you could wave a magic wand right now and think of something, a change that needs to be made, something in your relationship with God or in your relationship with others that you have a sense is probably broken. But that change feels really overwhelming, really difficult to make, and maybe you've tried to make it before. If you could wave a wand and make that change happen, what would that change be? I have good news and bad news. The bad news is that there's no wand. But the good news is that the story of Josiah gives us some really helpful principles for making these kinds of changes. So the first thing that you're going to notice is that Josiah is not alone. He's got Hilkiah, the high priest. He's got his secretary. And he's got Huldah, the prophetess, a woman who can help interpret the words of God not just that are on the scroll, but the fresh words that God has for how to interpret what, or how to apply what Josiah is reading on the scroll. I told you before that I had struggled with depression. And um, a, a few years ago, that struggle felt like it consumed my life. I thought that my faith wasn't strong enough because I wasn't able to make that change on my own. But the truth is, the thing that was so weak about my faith was that I thought I was strong enough not to need anybody else. When I finally recruited my husband to my team, instead of trying to hide my sadness from him and admit that I needed some help, when I recruited a really gifted, well-trained counselor and a wise spiritual director as a mentor and a couple of friends who I knew I could text when I needed prayer, things started to change. And it was a long journey, about a year and a half, and healing always sort of comes in waves, but I can tell you, I never thought I was going to feel happy again. And when I tried to, <laughs> this is funny, 
this is not in my notes, but I'm going to tell you anyway. I, I tried to like study myself into being happy and having joy. And so I started doing this like uh, word study in the Bible of joy. Um, and um, I thought like, okay, this is good because I'm pretty sure I remember hearing that joy is like, you know, you can have joy and be like really in a lot of pain or really, um, you know, sad at the same time. And, um, and having joy and suffering. I'm like, that's, I, I, that kind of joy feels possible. I can do joy and suffering. Um, the other kind of joy feels completely out of reach. And then I started doing this word study on joy. Do you know that like the word for joy, the Hebrew word for joy, asher, do you know what it means? It does not mean resilient. It does not mean put together. It literally means happy. It means happy. <laughs> And when I started to realize, like, wait a minute, no, that kind of joy is not out of my reach. That's actually the joy that God has for me. And he can change me. And I can maybe not necessarily change myself or reform myself, but with the right team and the right patterns and the right, um, the right path towards healing, I can get there and I can actually have hope that God has this change for me. It's hard to make change. So look for the people around you that can help. Who's on your team? So Josiah's got his team put together, but there's still a massive change effort needed ahead. The first thing that he does is to be really clear about what is going to change. So he gathers everyone together. It says from the least to the greatest. So we're talking everyone, everyone. And he reads the book of the covenant. So he discovered, you remember the, the book of the law, the Torah, first five books of the Old Testament. He's reading to them the book of the covenant, which is about roughly three chapters from, from um, the book of Exodus. And it is the passage where God is making a covenant with Israel to be their God and for them to be his people. And he's talking to them about what his people, how his people live. And it's not a rule book. It's not, um, it's a covenant. And it's, it's, it's not rules. It's the way to freedom. It's the way that we live so that we can love each other and be free. And do you know what the first verse, the end of the first verse in the book of the covenant, as Josiah has called all of these people out, his first words of these sacred scroll that he reads are, do not make any gods to be alongside me and do not make for yourselves gods of silver or gods of gold. And at that moment in the temple, in God's temple, there are so many gods alongside of him, made of silver and made of gold. When, Je when Josiah read, had these words read to him, he probably had them read to him multiple, multiple times. They are powerful and they were convicting. They point the way towards freedom and he brings the people alongside with him and they all publicly promise together that they are going to start living like God's people. If you want to live in the freedom 
that God has designed for you as being his. His words are going to be a part of that. He tells us in the scripture what it's like to live with him. So Josiah's next step after he introduces the scripture and God's words, he's out with the old. Those idols, they have to go. And here's the thing. The only thing that's harder than changing is changing halfway. Has anyone ever tried to sort of diet before? I tried to sort of Whole30, um, but gummy bears are like not even remotely Whole30. <laughs> it, like, it just doesn't work. You end up sabotaging yourself. And so it is way out with the old, like clean break, and it is hard work. Like, this isn't just like Josiah going in and tipping over an idol. This is a massive effort to change what has systemically been set up in the entire nation as idol worship, to remove all of those idols, to remove all of those altars, and to make the cultural change that's necessary to go with it. And then for Josiah, the next step is in with the new. Because you, to make change, you can't just stop doing something. You have to start doing something. And so when Josiah reads these words, one of the things um, in, the, in the book of the law, and this is only the first five books of the Old Testament. I mean, for those of you who have been around a while, I mean, a lot of Christians consider those sort of like skip over books. <laughs> But in those first five, you've got the story of the Exodus, which is really the big story of God's rescue and salvation of mankind that ends up getting retold and replayed over and over through history up to the story of Jesus. And so um, Josiah is learning this story of Exodus, of Pharaoh and Moses and this God who is a rescuer, who rescues his people and saves them from death. And he reads in this scroll that God has instituted something called the Passover, this feast of remembrance and celebration. Because when God does something for us, we are so happy. And we say, wow, that was such an answer to prayer. God sees me, he notices me, and he cares about me. And then 10 minutes later... (laughs) We forget. And the next time we come up to something, our first thought is never, well, God was good to me before. It's always, well, I came this far with God and he's abandoned me now. Right? We are so forgetful. I mean, Judah at this time has completely forgotten God. The Passover was a gift that God gave, along with many other feasts and celebrations, as not a one time we are going to remember how good God is, but woven into the fabric, the cultural fabric of Judah, this rhythm of remembrance of who God is, what he's like, and what he's done for us. 
so that we're not just always trying to be God's people. And I know I can't do this, and I know I can't do that because I need to be God's people. And also, I think technically it's probably better for me, and maybe I'll be happier if I do that. It's not just about us being God's people. He is our God. He has been so faithful to us. He loves us so much. All of these all of these guidelines that he's given us about how to live and how to be his people are not only for our good, they're for our relationship with him, for our ongoing relationship with him. And so Josiah brings back the Passover so that Judah can once again eat with God and remember his rescue and his presence. The biggest, most impossible, systemic, ingrained cultural, idol worship, child sacrifice, brutal violence culture is completely reformed. All because God's words were discovered in the temple and Josiah responded to them. God is a habit breaker who can completely change us with his words. Josiah was clearly an incredible reformer and a remarkable king But his story also shows us something else about God and the way that he changes people. Because God's not just a chain breaker and a habit breaker. God is also a new definition maker. So this is interesting because Josiah's success, clearly, he's just done the impossible. He's completely turned Israel around 180 from where they were. But the way that his, descri- his success is described is very different than other kings. Most kings, they focus on things that they've built, battles that they've won, territory that they've occupied. And this is, you know, if you go to the British Museum, you'll see records of the ways that kings were remembered this way. Josiah is remembered a very different way. So my friend Michelle is a Stanford MBA, and she has a startup. And I was talking with her the other day, and I said, long story, but I was really, really worried about how successful a project I was working on was going to end up turning out. And she asked me a very insightful question, which in hindsight was a little obvious, but she said, Liz, what does success look like for you? And I realized I hadn't asked myself that question. Have you? What does success look like for you? Our definition of success can lead us closer to God and on healthier paths of change towards health or further away. God changes our definition of success. No matter where we are going, the definition of Josiah's success will fit us. We find it in 2 Kings 22.2. It says, He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and followed completely the ways of his father David, not turning aside to the right or to the left. Josiah's success looked like consistent, right living in intimacy with God. That's it. Not how many people he reformed, not how many idols he tore down. 
His success and what defined him was consistent right living in intimacy with God. And I want that to be the marker on the wall for me too, in whatever I do. If that feels like a high bar, we can all start where Josiah started. Because he started in 2 Kings twenty-two nineteen. This is in his conversation with Huldah. She tells him, because your heart was responsive and you humbled yourself before the Lord when you heard what I have spoken against this place and its people, that they would become a curse and be laid waste. And because you tore your robes and wept in my presence, I also have heard you, declared the Lord. When we encounter God's conviction and his invitation to change, we, we can start like all great reformers, like Josiah, to respond to that conviction, to say that we're sorry, and to choose God's way. We don't have to be a change hero. God is a change hero. When you choose his way and allow him to change you, you will be amazed at what he does in you and through you. The entire reformation of Judah happened with the introduction of the law, the first five books of the Old Testament. But here's the crazy thing. We have so much more. We have 66 books of God's words. And even more than that, we look in John 1, 16 and 17, and we have something even better. Out of Christ's fullness, we have all received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth come through Jesus Christ. If all of this change of Judah was possible with the first five books of the Old Testament, can you imagine what change is possible for us with all of God's word and with Jesus himself? with the work of Jesus on the cross to say that it is possible that sin can be defeated, to be invited with him, to join him in his death and his resurrection to new life and a life that is lived with and full of the power of the Holy Spirit. Some of us have lost our imagination for the change that is possible in our addictions, in our marriages, in our jobs, in our families, in our relationships, in our diagnosis, in our heartaches. We've lost our imagination. But God changes people, and God changes us with the power of his words, the strength of our community, and the incredible guidance of the Holy Spirit. We do not 
have to ever be stuck. Grace and truth in Jesus Christ can set us free. We know that and we forget it. Just like everyone else who came before us. And that's why Josiah kept the Passover in front of the people as a constant reminder. And when Jesus came, he instituted communion. Communion is our new feast of remembrance. Our new feast of celebration that God can rescue us from death, that he can rescue us from anything. I'm a guest here at Central today. Thank you guys for being so welcoming and warm. Some of you guys here may be guests as well. Anyone who is here and believes in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior is welcome to partake in communion today. The ushers are going to come and bring it out, and you can just sort of take it in your own time as you sit in your seats. As you do, take some time for reflection. In your notes, on the inside of your notes, I've included a couple of reflection questions that you may or may not begin to glance at now. They might become a conversation piece for your car ride home or dinner with friends later this week. But as we come to the cross, may we come with hearts that repent and hearts that remember. Not only that it is possible for new life, but that Jesus paid the ultimate price with his life so that we could have it so that we could live and live abundantly with him.